Welcome to Seymour, podcast about movies and TV. I'm Juan Gonzalez, and today's episode's a bit of a spin-off of a previous episode. Episode 8, to be exact, when Joao and I spoke about the hit sitcom series, Cheers. If you haven't already guessed it, or if you didn't see the title of this episode somehow, or if you also missed the podcast description, we're going to be talking about what might be the most successful spin-off of all time. Frasier. It almost isn't fair to the show to call it like a spinoff. The show's extension to its predecessor is quite light, and it really does have its own personality. It doesn't really address a lot of what happens in Cheers, with the exception of a couple of cameos. With that personality comes a lot of success, and the show has been nominated for 272 awards and has won 130 of them three of them being Golden Globes. A lot of that success has to do with Kelsey Grammer. And a lot of that has to do with Kelsey Grammer's voice. So if you're unfamiliar with the show, Frasier follows the Crane family, more specifically Dr. Frasier Crane, who's played by Kelsey Grammer, who moves back to his hometown Seattle after his cheers shenanigans and starts a new life as a radio talk show therapist. His father moves in with him. His father is played by John Mahoney, and he's reunited with his equally pretentious brother, Niles, his friends, his co-workers, etc. But today, I want to talk briefly about Kelsey Grammer's voice, because I really do think that's the driving force of the show, not just because it sounds great, but it is integral to the narrative, the, I'll say, lack of character development, and my enjoyment of the show. So let's get right to it, and as always, no spoilers. No guests today. Yeah, we're rolling solo, just just me out here. Sorry if you were expecting someone, but we can do this. This will be fine. Anyway, I want to start by saying how great Frazier's punchline is. So... I like the way he says, hello, listener. This is Dr. Fraser Crane. I'm listening. It really sets the tone for... It, this is weird. I, I guess we're getting a call. I didn't even know I had a... Where did this phone come from? I, hello? Hey, yeah, this is uh, John. That That's weird. Your voice sounds oddly familiar. You know, I have a couple of questions. Sure, yeah, I mean... I'm in the middle of a podcast, but sure, why not? Where's Softglass? It's just me. I'm doing a solo thing. Let me do the solo. Yeah, I thought this was Softglass's show, though. No, no, it's not. It's definitely my show. I guess that's a common misconception. I, you've sold out. You know that? Your show's changing. You're doing Game of Thrones. You did Avengers the other week. You've sold out. Yeah, we're not talking about that today. We're doing a Frasier thing. This is, this is my Frasier episode. I've wanted to do this for a while. Let me just do my thing. Yeah, but you're talking about his voice? That's, that's weird, man. It's weird. Well, let me elaborate. So it's a common technique for a character to have an occupation that is either opposite to his or her skill set, right? I mean, the premise of a lot of sitcoms are, let's take this character with an extreme personality and put them in a weird situation on a weekly basis for our entertainment. Frasier does something pretty cool. At least I think so. 
Fraser's great at talking. Kelsey Grammer has a fantastic voice. The pairing's genius. And the humor comes from the loonies that call in to get his advice. The show's co-creator, Peter Casey, also thinks Fraser's intelligence made him compelling. In an interview with Variety, he said, Why does there have to be a stupid character? Why does there have to be a theme song up front? If the answer was because it has always been that way, then that wasn't good enough. This does a couple of things. So we now have unlimited material. Anyone can just call in with their problems. And that problem can be anything because we don't actually see it. It's not a tangible thing. It can be as ludicrous as possible. It got to the point where the callers became special guests, like these Easter egg celebrities doing impressions. Christopher Reeves and Carrie Fisher even had cameos on the show. Oh, so you're going to talk about Superman and Star Wars on your show next? <laughs> no. I mean, maybe. That's not the point. I, my point is that this opens up, from a storytelling perspective, just infinite material. And the narrative charm and dilemma that Fraser faces is that he doesn't even take his own advice. He uses that voice to help people during his day job, often giving the advice that he should be taking and applying to his own life, which then adds a layer of, was he full of it? A lot of what makes the show dynamic is that the advice he gives others, the thing he's incredibly well at, with seemingly great intentions, isn't something he can even follow. This may be from a literal or thematic standpoint, which leaves me thinking, the viewer, if this radio show therapist can't follow his own advice, how are his listeners following this advice? I won't go on the record and say Fraser Crane is the villain of his own show. That's a completely fair argument to make. Joe Keenan, writer and producer, said that Fraser has so many flaws. He's vain, pompous, condescending. He's an insecure snob, always trying to ascend to some new social pinnacle. But underneath that, there's an incredible, decent guy who truly wants to help people. Writer and producer Christopher Lloyd also said that the vanity and self-importance always helped them lead Frazier into comic situations. Basically, what he thinks is that having a dummy on the show, someone who's always getting into trouble, isn't funny, right? Somebody stepping into a manhole and hurting themselves isn't that funny. But if that someone is doing something preposterous that can bring pain onto themselves, self-inflicted, then you feel freer to laugh as an audience member. You know, that still doesn't have anything to do with his voice. Okay, so let's talk about it. Let's talk about the sound of his voice. Well, it's why he's so good at his job. Now, I've never been to Seattle, but his voice sounds as calming as I would think Seattle rain feels like. Again, based solely off Seattle, the way it's portrayed on the show. I'm not alone on this either. You know, Kelsey Grammer actually lent his voice to the part of Sideshow Bob, which won him an Emmy for Outstanding Voiceover Performance in 2006. And for all of the Toy Story 2 fans, he actually voiced Stinky Pete. He can also sing. Kelsey Grammer actually performs the Toss Salad and Scrambled Eggs theme song on Frasier. Yes, I'm saying all of this to say that Kelsey Grammer has an objectively great voice. Now, Frasier's voice sounds like Seattle rain. It embodies the location that they're in. It sounds like radio. It sounds like an incredible radio voice. And it sounds like companionship. All three of those things wrapped in one context. And the brilliance of this show is that in another setting, these three pillars that are extremely comforting sound completely out of place. So that same voice can sound scatterbrained, nervous, 
egocentric, all kinds of things in a different social setting. The creators found out very early on that, that what works on radio doesn't really correlate to life outside of that. So on dates, Frasier just sounds nervous, bumbling, and that confidence in another context just seems cocky. And they do a really good job of playing with that dynamic. Now, Casey, the co-creator, said he's telling people how to resolve their family issues while his own family issues are disrupting his life. So it's all just cyclical. Oh, okay, so he's got a nice voice. He uses that voice to hide the fact that he's not a good guy. How, how does this affect his, his family? Speaking of, how, how does this affect the people around him? Now, no protagonist is complete without a supporting cast. And... Frazier has an incredible supporting cast that does some interesting things with his persona. Now, whereas the plan focus was initially the father-son dynamic, his father was the polar opposite of him, whereas Frazier Crane's voice was smooth and, and sort of poetic and pretentious, his father's was very grounded. He was kind of a, for lack of a better word, you know, man's man, just drinking beer in his couch. That's kind of his whole thing, consistent throughout the 11 seasons. But that quickly took a backseat, according to the co-creators, to the competitive relationship between the Crane brothers. Lloyd actually said of this, that conventional wisdom would have you pair Frazier with a brother who's a welder, more like his father, right? Watches football to sort of combat his tone. And they did quite the opposite, and they paired him with someone who was even fussier, uh, just an extreme version of Frasier, a bit more immature. His voice lacks some of that depth and some of that knowledge. Uh, it's a bit squealier, but they have very similar interests, and by doing that, that created sort of this competitive nature, and their rarefied language became the language of the show. So they were both psychiatrists. And this allowed for them to analyze each other's feelings and behaviors in, in ways that they were just overthinking everything. So Niles, his brother, was a great soundboard to Frasier because any overreaction Frasier had, we would automatically double that. Niles would multiply that to a new level of extreme that Frasier was incapable of getting to. I'd say that out of all of the supporting characters, Niles gave Frasier an avenue to be pretentious to an extreme level. That dynamic would often have them rival how pretentious they could go. And it's one of the fewer moments that he really is staying true to the persona that he gives out on the radio. I think that's when he's most like himself, when he's with Niles. David Lee, one of the series co-creators, said that we decided there could be jokes that not everyone got. They called those the 10 percenters, the extreme lengths of Frasier and Niles' pretentiousness. He felt that as long as they were delivering high quality for the other 90%, that that was fine to do. And it really adds a layer of authenticity to their dynamism. Now, Jane Leaves brings in a very interesting dynamic and brings something out of Frasier that is very unlikable. She plays Daphne Moon, which is Frasier's father's caretaker. So that pretentious, snobby voice sounds very unappealing, 
when you present Fraser with this sort of class dynamic of Daphne working around the house and his voice suddenly, that wise voice suddenly feels and sounds very snotty, condescending, very sort of superior, egocentric with the context of her character. The dynamic with Perry Gilpin, who plays Roz Doyle, who's Frazier's co-worker, is also very interesting. She hears firsthand these calls, puts callers through, and can hear the, I guess that facade is lifted for her. She knows Frazier Crane better than anyone else. She can see behind the BS. And it's interesting to see him try to pull these, try to put up that front with her and it not working because she's very tell it how it is. And so in that context, she kind of checks Frazier unlike any other character because she can also relate to him. And anything that she says holds very real weight because it's not coming from a polar opposite character. They work in the same field. Their approach is very different. And Eddie, who's the dog on the show, he's Martin Crane's dog. Frazier just hates him. I, he just does not like animals and they feel very alien to him because he can't communicate to this dog the way he communicates with everyone else. It's, he's rendered useless without his words, without his ideas, without that persona. It's suddenly, you know, when you're communicating to a dog, it's very bare bones. So that relationship is really interesting. And I'm really glad that that's something that they chose to incorporate onto the show. Frazier is a great example of self-inflicted turmoil because his skill of, and which he's very good at, of talking to others and assisting others leads to his downfall because of his inability to follow his own advice, whether it be willingly or not, because of his need of approval from a social status standpoint, and that all of this is heightened to an incredible comedic level because of his primary tool, that voice you were talking about, which is ironically the leading element to his downfall, as it is often misconstrued in a completely different context and brings out all of his faults thanks to the many different personalities of his supporting cast? Why, yes, caller, that is exactly the point I'm trying to make, that his voice at the center of this accentuates all of these issues with the character of Fraser Crane. It's what makes us like him. It's what makes other people not like him. And it's what makes people blindly listen to him. That's what makes him so fascinating to me, in my opinion. Wow, what an informational call. And I will definitely continue to listen to your show. And maybe I'll call in again. Wow, what a receptive call. <laughs> that was a great conversation, very mature conversation with someone who didn't necessarily agree with my opinions, at least initially. Fantastic. Okay, so, I mean, that's the show. Before we get into some fun facts, I just want to state that a lot of the research I did came from a great Vanity Fair article written by Mark Freeman of last year. So go check that out. And, you know, the reason I wanted to talk about this, and I know it's a bit of a sparse subject, but the show makes me feel comfortable always. And it's one of those sitcoms I feel like I can just go back to and listen to. And a lot of that has to do with 
Frazier's voice. As ridiculous as that sounds, I think that bleeds into a lot of the different elements that I find compelling on the show. And hopefully you do too. If you're interested in the show, I'd love for you to check it out. Let me know what you think. I would love to start getting questions in general. I think that'd be a lot of fun. I would love to start answering questions at the end of these episodes, especially when they're solo episodes. I just tend to have a little more time. And I really hope you appreciated it, enjoyed it. Let me know if you are now going to start watching Frasier, if you like Frasier, if you've been watching it for years, if you think I'm wrong, if you agree with my opinions, anything. Just feel free to call in like John did. You get it? Because it people call in a Frasier. It, it's a Frasier-themed episode, folks. It's... I basically just want to become Frasier at this point. I'll give you terrible advice. Let's do that. All right, let's get into some fun facts. Now, according to John Mahoney, who played Frasier's father, Moose, uh, played by Eddie, which is a dog, got more fan mail than any human cast member on the show. Kelsey Grammer actually used an acting method called requisite disrespect. He would rehearse each scene only once, and he would not learn his lines until a few moments before each scene was shot. Kelsey felt that this method brought an energy and realism to the performance, and the cast and crew actually got used to it, but guest stars did not like this method. Understandably so. In regards to this, Kelsey Grammer said, If you play someone for that long, you search for ways to remain spontaneous. The best way was for me to not memorize my lines. So every regular character from Cheers from 1982, with the exception of Rebecca and Coach, uh, appeared in at least one Frasier episode. So although he was playing his father, John Mahoney was only 15 years older than Kelsey Grammer. Each season of the show can be distinguished by the color of Frasier in the opening title card. The order is blue, pink, green, purple, yellow slash white, brown, yellow slash orange, bright slash neon green, orange, silver, and then gold. In the series finale, season 11, episodes 23 and 24, called Goodnight Seattle, were the only episodes to have a rainbow in the opening title card. Bob Daly, the writer slash producer, said of Moose, the dog, that uh, the trainer would say, Moose, Moose, over here, to get him to stare. When Moose got old, they brought a son in, Enzo, and they would make up and spray him so his marks were consistent with his father's. Moose and Enzo apparently hated each other, so they couldn't be on the set together. Apparently, it was one of those classic parent-child Hollywood rivalries, according to the writer-producer Bob Daly. And that's going to be it for the fun facts. That was this week's show. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. You can hear new episodes of Seymour every week on Tuesdays on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And remember, Seymour is just one of many shows that Cesspool has to offer. For more info, visit cesspoolnetwork.com to see our full weekly lineup or follow at Cesspool Network on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Juwan underscore chirps, on Instagram at Juwan underscore snaps, or follow what I watch on Letterboxd at Juwan Gonzalez. See you next week. Thank you.